0: Seamless transition, eh? (laughs) Family win. Our second reading is from uh, John's Gospel, uh, chapter 5, verses 1 to 9, and that's on 1068. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, He asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Lord, I pray that you will be in my words and in our hearts and minds this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, I understand that those of you who were here at St. Giles last Sunday, uh, I have to confess that we were away on holiday, sorry, um, that uh, uh, you were given a bit of advanced warning by Lee that this week's service would be especially focused on healing. I wonder how Lee's announcement of this made you feel. Or indeed, for those of you who weren't with us last Sunday, how you're feeling right now. Maybe sceptical. Possibly hopeful. Left out, even. Perhaps disappointed. Maybe prayerful. Both for others and for yourself. Maybe coming with an open heart. I don't know how each of you is feeling. But what is certain, what I do know, is that this question of healing does God heal today? Does God heal in general? And does God heal today especially? This question has the capacity to cause perhaps greater differences of opinion and belief than maybe any other topic in our Christian faith. What I hope to be able to do this morning, with the help of our two passages of scripture from John's Gospel and from the book of Acts, and also drawing on some other passages of scripture and a couple of other sources, is to help you believe that whilst God's healing is extraordinary, indeed it's miraculous in the most literal sense of that word, it should also be, for us as followers of Jesus Christ, something that is absolutely normal. I want to be very clear at this point, however, and I'll come back to this in greater detail later that when I say normal, I do not mean universal. When we as Christians pray for someone to be healed, we know that that individual is not always healed. I imagine that most, if not all of us, um, will have experiences, whether from the past or quite possibly right now, where this is hugely painful to us so i'll ask uh, you all to bear with me uh, if you may please um, on this particularly important point which i'll uh, come to in due course but i'd like first to turn to our i'd like to turn to our two passages of scripture both of which contain physical healing by jesus himself and then by some of his followers I think it makes sense, in fact, to turn to our second, to our Gospel reading first, because Jesus uh, has to be our starting point, perhaps even more so with respect to healing than in all the other areas of our faith. Jesus had been moving uh, before our passage throughout Galilee, but now we're told he returns to Jerusalem to worship at the temple during one of the Jewish festivals. The Sheep Gate, to which John makes a particular reference, uh, would have been in the northern wall of the city of Jerusalem at the time of Christ. Um, It's still there now. Obviously, Jerusalem is is much, much bigger, but the the gate is there and and the wall is there. Uh, And the Pool of Bethesda would have been uh, located just outside the city. Um, It too is, or the ruins of it are still there as well. We don't have any detail about when exactly in his time in Jerusalem uh, or why Jesus found himself at the Pool of Bethesda. But we are given some vital information about what habitually took place there. It appears that a large number of disabled people lay around the pool, perhaps all day, perhaps all day, and all night. And each was there in the hope that they would be the first to enter the pool after its waters were mysteriously stirred by an angel, apparently, which, so the belief went, would result in that first person into the waters being cured. There are many, many people at the pool. But we're told by John that Jesus approaches just one, a man who had been disabled, whether at the pool for the entirety of this time or not, we don't know, but who'd been disabled for 38 years. He'd been at the pool in the hope of being healed of his disability, of being able to walk again. The narrative doesn't tell us how many others in the crowd tried to attract Jesus' attention? How many other disabled people were trying to catch his eye? All we have is this homing in on a single encounter between Jesus and this one man. Jesus learns. It's not clear uh, whether this is uh, from divine inspiration or through what the others will h- with him tell him. For just how many years the man has been at the pool. For just how many years, um, on every occasion that the waters move, this man has been struggling to be the first to enter them. Desperate to be healed. And Jesus says to this man, directly looking him in the eye. Do you want to get well do you want to get well there's no doubt no hesitation here on the part of jesus he knows that behind that question he has the absolute power the power of god in and through him to cure this man completely then and there but the man totally misunderstands him We can tell from his reply that he's thinking that Jesus will, as soon as the waters start to move, help him into the pool. And apparently, therefore, he will be healed as the first one into those waters. His hope um, for the previous many years. We can only uh, imagine the exchange between these two men. The bafflement of Uh, The disabled man, as Jesus doesn't instruct him to do what he'd presumably have been expecting to happen. But instead, Jesus' command, get up, pick up your bed, and walk. And then, doubtless, the absolute astonishment, the joy, as contrary to all that he believes possible, the disabled man is immediately able to walk once again for this man his incredible physical healing would have been uh, not just uh, physical but also social spiritual economic even his disability gone he'd have been able potentially to come out of the complete dependence on the charity of others that would have characterized all of his life We can also only imagine what these 38 years of daily crushed hope would have done to his mental condition. Moreover, his disability would have precluded him from entering the temple, thereby preventing him from fulfilling his spiritual obligations under Jewish law. But all of this now no longer applies. Jesus' healing of him is total. It is physical, but it's also emotional, social, spiritual. Let's look now at our second passage. Our second passage, chronologically at least, from Acts chapter 5. In the days following Pentecost, this is a period in which the core practices of the early church were being established in which the disciples shared their possessions with one another, in which they started to meet one another every day in the temple courts and in each other's homes, and in which they established the practice of breaking bread together. And at the same time, as all of these things that are um, core to who they are as this evolving body of Christians, this evolving church... At the same time as this we're told that the apostles performed many signs and wonders amongst the people and that there were many people joining this once tiny group of believers so many that this resulted in many others bringing the ill the sick to them in order that they might receive healing confident that they would do so as well. The believer's faith appears to have been so strong, their expectation of God so great, that even the mere act of Peter's shadow passing over them as they waited to speak with him was enough to cure them of their ailments. And it also seems, uh, given that uh, Luke, uh, who wrote the book of Acts, doesn't seem to express any incredulity at this, that this level of healing was an accepted norm amongst the earliest apostles. Healings like this were just what happened amongst that early Christian community. So how are we to understand these two different healings? And the other episodes of healing that we encounter through the ministry of Jesus and also some who preceded him in the story of the people of God, as well as those uh, like Peter and John who followed him. And how do they relate to us and to our hope of seeing people healed today through our prayers? What's happening here? What is God doing What also is God not doing when these people are healed? Any healing, any miracle is a gift of grace from God. He loves the world and all who live in it. Healings, whether emotional, psychological, spiritual, physical, or a combination of all of these... These healings are a sign of the kingdom of God breaking into the world, breaking into our fallen world, overcoming that fallen state, that state as we live in what's often called the now and the not yet. The now, because on the one hand, we know that Jesus' death and resurrection have already won God's victory over sin and death. The victory has been won completely already but on the other, until Christ comes to reconcile the whole of creation to himself, healing it, bringing it to perfection, when he comes again, the hope that we, of course, as Christians, all have. Until then, we continue to live in this not yet, in an imperfect world in which disease and death continue to be present even though they are not part of God's good plan. We see healing miracles in the narrative of the people of God uh, long before Christ's ministry, the curing of Naaman from leprosy, Elijah raising the son of the widow of Zarephath, many more instances too. But in the Gospels, we not only see Jesus healing many times, but also commanding his disciples to do precisely this as one of their main purposes. Jesus says to them in Matthew chapter 10, verses seven to eight, "As you go, proclaim this message: The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. raise the dead." cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. It's central to the message of the gospel and to Jesus's command to those who follow him, that they heal the sick, that they drive out demons, that even They raise the dead. This is what Jesus is charging his disciples with as they take his gospel out into the towns and the villages of the Holy Land. As Jesus himself declares when he raises Lazarus from the dead, the purpose of such acts, such healings, is to bring glory to God. These miracles rather than being contrary to nature and its laws. Ah, as C.S. Lewis writes in his book Miracles, and and from this, uh, for those of you who have been on Real Life, I owe a debt to Will Fulger um, for this. Um, As C.S. Lewis writes in his book Miracles, such miracles are something that reveal the true purpose and depth of nature. What's really true? The law behind the laws, if you like. I know that some of you have experienced God at work in extraordinary ways in your lives or in the lives of those you know and love. Healings from pain. Dramatic healings of individuals whose life has been in great danger. And for me personally, the most significant influence on me choosing to give my life fully to Christ rather than pottering along as a cultural Anglican was in my 20s, the way in which I saw the friends and family of a friend of mine, Charlotte, praying for her in the absolute belief that their prayers would be heard and answered as she was incredibly close to dying from cerebral malaria. Charlotte made a complete recovery. And as a byproduct, I guess, I'm here at the front today. It's amazing how God uses our prayers and the prayers of others in ways we don't expect or understand. But of course... We also know that living as we do in our fallen world, there continues to be suffering. There continues to be disease and pain. And some people for whom we pray do not get better. Turning to C.S. Lewis again, and, and he um, was an individual who, uh, who endured great personal pain as he saw uh, his wife die Uh, terribly young from cancer turning to him again he acknowledges that even when any healing does occur whether through what we might term a miracle or through the equally miraculous divine gifts of medicine and the skills of those who work in that field extraordinary work that they do and amazing the technology and the care that is now available to us in our society. Even the miraculous can only ever be a temporary fix until Christ comes again. Everyone, of course, who was healed by Jesus, healed by Peter, healed by John, they too died. Their fix was a temporary fix. The healing at that moment but a death later on, until Christ comes again. And it does remain a divine mystery why one person may be healed and another is not, regardless of how much prayer has been directed towards them. A mystery which can cause us so much pain as we see those whom we love suffer and not get well. We're told in our passage from Acts that all who were brought to the apostles were healed. But perhaps this isn't a typical biblical pattern. In our gospel reading, we know that there were many, many people gathered around the pool of Bethesda, waiting for healing in its waters. Yet we're told that Jesus addresses just one of them. And it appears only to be him as opposed to any of the many, many others who is healed. The founder of the 24-7 prayer movement, Pete Gregg, perhaps the most well-known contemporary theologian of prayer and practiser of prayer, Uh, someone who has seen and written about many, many healings and other miracles. He writes in his latest book, How to Pray, about his wife, Sammy's multi-year battle with chronic illness and pain. I don't understand why Sammy has not yet been fully healed. God knows we have prayed. I definitely don't understand why he does some miracles and not others. It often seems so arbitrary. But I'm learning to understand that I may never fully understand. I am learning to be a bit more okay with not being okay. Life sometimes hurts like hell, but I've discovered that deleting God from the equation doesn't actually help. It merely removes all meaning and morality from the mess and all real hope for the future. And so... He says, I'm sort of stuck with God, even when I don't understand him. Turns out he is all I've got. And maybe that is where hallowing actually begins. If I could add briefly to what Pete Gregg says, not only are we sort of stuck with God, to use his words, but so much more. God is there alongside us. He comforts us in our pain. He brings us his peace even when we don't understand what is going on. And he enfolds us in his loving embrace. Nevertheless, We continue to be called to pray, as Christ's first disciples were, for healings. That God will work miracles amongst those for whom our hearts ache. We know that healing won't always happen. But we still believe that in a world in which Christ rose from the dead and has left that divine resurrection power with us in the form of the Holy Spirit, It is normal for us to pray, knowing that healings and miracles are God's will, and praying, expecting that they can happen. We're going to move in a moment into a time of response, first of all, uh, in sung worship. And then after that, Lee will lead us in uh, the Holy Communion part of the service, as part of which you will each have the opportunity to receive anointing with oil as a a prayerful expression, asking God for um, his particular attention, his love and his care, and waiting for him to bring his healing into our situations. And then as our service draws to a close, you'll have uh, a couple of further opportunities to engage with God's healing power. I uh, remarked earlier in our reading from the Book of Acts uh, on the way in which the encouragement and the enthusiasm of the first Christians gathered in numbers in Solomon's colonnade in the temple, that created an atmosphere of expectation, of the power of Jesus working through the Holy Spirit in the persons of Peter and John. That that would heal every one of the many people who flocked to there to receive this gift from God. There is something about this raising of expectation that not only is God capable of turning up and doing something very special, but that God will turn up And do something very special that somehow uh, seems to result in, in, uh, as the narrative of the book of Acts says, all of those who gathered being healed. One of the ways in which we can do this and in which uh, indeed we've done this in the past in St. Giles is by sharing testimonies up at the front of how God has worked in our lives and how he's brought about healing. Maybe not all of us are uh, comfortable standing up in front of a congregation and sharing in this way. It takes a a degree of bravery to do that. Um, The the people who have done so in the past have been remarkable in what they've shared. Um, But perhaps you um, might like to acknowledge a healing that God has made in your life or in the life of someone dear to you so we're going to give you the opportunity to do that uh, at the end of the service after communion and the anointing Um, the st giles wooden cross that normally stands over there is on the floor of the george and there are some post-it notes and some pens next to it if you'd like to thank god for a healing in your life or in the life of another person dear to you do go over to the george write a post-it uh, uh, with your prayer of thanks to God and stick it on the cross. I really encourage you to do that. It'd be great to see the cross covered in post-it notes with thank you prayers from all of our church family. So we can see um, visually in that way uh, the extent of God answering prayers, working miracles amongst us and amongst those whom we know and love and finally if you would like to pray with someone uh, for healing of whatever nature in your life or the life of someone dear to you the prayer ministry team will be in the lady chapel again after communion and the anointing and they'd be delighted to pray with you about that or indeed about anything else you wish to pray with them about Let's take a moment of prayer as I close. Gracious God, we thank you for your gift of healing and for the miracles which you have worked in the lives of so many people in the past and which you continue to do today. Give us, we pray, your courage as we step out And a sense of holy expectation as we turn our hearts and our voices to you in prayer. Certain of your love for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.